You know, you can, you can pursue a connection with something bigger than yourself by joining a sports club. Uh, you can pursue a connection with something bigger than yourself by joining a political party. You can pursue a connection with something bigger than yourself by playing a video game and getting that sense of something bigger from something that really doesn't even exist. Uh, there's loads of ways that people do that. Uh, if, if some or if all of those things sound maybe uncomfortably relatable to you, let me introduce you to a place that might seem a little bit related to you. Uh, it's a place that we may not have met very well before. It's a place called Ephesus that Paul wrote a letter to called Ephesians. Uh, one, of the, one of the dangers in the Bible uh, that we come across is that as you read something like Ephesians, Ephesians is the only thing you know about Ephesus. Um, you know, you can find more. You can go and look up the archaeological record and you can, you can go and read loads of books and stuff. But often for us, the only thing we know about Ephesus is the, you know, these pages here. And, and the danger there is that um, we, we, we read it and we look at it and we go, wow, this place must have been great. You know, wow, what a holy city, Ephesus. What a, what a gloriously beautiful place to live where everyone knew God. You know, Paul's thanking them in this passage for their faith and for their love. Everyone in Ephesus must have been that way, right? You know, what a beautiful place. Not really the case, as it turns out. Somewhat the opposite in the general Ephesus population. Uh, they lived in a place, the church there lived in a place where people sought hope, they sought comfort, they sought wealth and they sought power and a connection with something bigger and they sought them in all of the wrong places in, in the general population of Ephesus. People weren't different then to people now. I hope that's pretty clear. People still go after those same things. I mean, sure, they, they were different. They had different clothes. They spoke a different language. They had a different culture. They probably ate different food to us. It was probably delicious. We'd probably like it. We'll never know. But, sorry, by the by. But just like people today and at every point in history, people went after what they thought was most needed, what they needed the most in their lives. And, and the ways that people answered that question of what is your deepest need in life were basically the same as today. We get a bit of insight for, into this uh, if, we, if we find out something about the city. Um, Ephesus was the place to go to find hope, wealth, uh, comfort, power, and a connection to something bigger in the ancient world. I think, I think you could debate. It was the one place. Um, let me read you a quote. This is from a, a fellow named E.K. Simpson. He, he wrote a commentary in the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Um, but he writes, The city of Ephesus and capital of Proconsular Asia was the metropolis of a large and populous region, a Greek colony by extraction. It had become a rendezvous of many nationalities. Jew and Gentile rubbed shoulders in its streets, and the ramifications of its mercantile trafficking made it the gave it the motley characteristics of a cosmopolitan mart. He then goes on to talk about how it's a port city, and, and as a port city, it, it was very wealthy. It had a lot of trade going through it. It was also kind of the, the road from everywhere to everywhere. Uh, and then he says, in the first century AD, however, it teemed with wealth and luxury. Its chief architectural boast consisted of the Temple of Artemis, reckoned one of the seven wonders of the world, whose treasury formed the Bank of Asia Minor, an immense edifice of dazzling marble situated outside its gates the admiration of sightseers from every quarter. It was also proud of the largest of all Hellenistic 
open-air theatres held in the statistic culture of the day, uh, capable of holding 50,000 spectators. That's still pretty big today, isn't it? You know, in the days before, say, cranes. In the vicinity of this spacious area lay a stadium for races and wild beast fights. So Ephesus, Ephesus was a place where people went to seek out those things which people desire most. They would go there for hope. They would go there for wealth. They would go there for comfort, for power, and for a connection with something bigger. Ephesus offered all of these things in spades. The, the big difference between Ephesus and today, obviously, like you might, you might look around yourself and go, that's not that relatable. We live in Middleton. You might think that Middleton is the capital of the world. Uh, or you may have just moved to Middleton from Cape Town and realised how small this place is. I don't know. But I'm not being specific. Anyone could have done that. Um, sorry, guys. Um, but, uh, but, but the big difference is you don't have to go to the big metropolis today to, be, to seek those things out, to be confronted with those things day by day in multiple ways each day. You don't have to live in the major metropolis in order to be regularly, heavily exposed, exposed to all of these false paths in life today. You, ju you just need a phone or a TV or, if you're really feeling energetic, a car. You know, you can, you can go to the big sports game that will connect you to something bigger than yourself, feel a part of something huge just by jumping in your car and driving a couple of hours. Or better still, you know, you don't even need to do that. At, at less cost and less effort, you can sit down in front of your 72-inch 4K TV and, and get involved in it and feel like you're there to a large extent. You can feel your house rumble with the surround sound and become connected with something that you're completely disconnected with. Isn't that bizarre? You can seek out hope, wealth, comfort, power, and a connection to something bigger without getting out of your lounge room chair today. How crazy is that? <clears throat> Paul knew the city that he was writing to. And moreover, he knew the people and what people are like in general, not just there. He knew that people go after the wrong things. We have a tendency towards this, and we face temptations to do so every day. And today we come to the first of three prayers in the book of Ephesians. Um, and when, when we read Paul praying for the church, what we see is the spirit-inspired words of the apostle expressing the deepest heart of himself and of God for his church. What is God's desire for the church? We find that when we see Paul praying for the church. And what we see is that Paul prays Paul prays for our deepest need. He prays that through the truth of the gospel, we would come to know God more. Now, before we, we dig into the actual verses, do you remember what this book is all about as per last week's sermon? If you weren't here, let me give you the, the snapshot. The book of Ephesians calls us to be a gospel-transformed people, a people who are being transformed by the gospel and therefore become gospel-shaped. Are the the picture of the gospel in the world and with that in view what paul prays for here isn't really surprising or it shouldn't be first paul does a couple of verses where he thanks god uh, he thanks god for what the the ephesian church has and you know i look around me and I, I i can echo this he thanks them for he thanks god for their faith and for their love he's he's, he's thankful to god he says he's thankful that they know jesus 
and that they trust in Jesus. That's what it means to have faith. And he's thankful that, they tr- that, that the trust that they have in Jesus is practically pouring out in their lives toward others. <coughs> There's an important dynamic of the church that, that often gets forgotten. Um, and it's really simple, and we should always have it in the fore, and you hear it said a lot around here. What we believe should drive us to live differently. Gospel transformation, if you want to sum that up. And Paul's grateful that this is working out in the church in Ephesus. As the church trusts the gospel, as they know the love of Christ, they are being shaped by the love of Christ and so are a display of that love to the world as they love one another. This is so important. We shouldn't pass over this. It's something we've, we've, we've said pretty recently here at Gospel Church, and you hear us say it again and again because the Bible says it again and again. Christian belief isn't a checklist. If your faith is a list of things that you believe and only that, then you've missed the point of faith. It's important to know what you believe, but faith should always be embodied. Your theology, your doctrine, the, the truths of what you believe, which fundamentally are the truths of whom you have believed in need to come out in your life if they are truly believed. If you, if you say that you believe in the, in the glorious love of the God who displayed his love for you in, in costly sacrifice by sending his precious son to die to take away your sins, and if you believe that he rose from the dead, that he raised him and therefore declared your victory in him over death, over sin, and that he is now reigning over all things and the king of all of creation, and you don't overflow with love for his saints and for your neighbours, let me gently suggest that maybe you don't believe it as much as you thought you did. No matter how biblical your checklist of statement, your, your statement of belief is, as Paul moves now, he, he moves from thanks to request. And, and something foundationally important for the Christian life happens as he makes this shift in the prayer. He's thanked God. He's thanked God for the faith and for the love of the Ephesians. That is to say, he's thanked God that they know Jesus. They trust Jesus uh, in word and in deed. And now, if you were to sum up the remainder of the verses, he prays that they would know Jesus. Thank you, God, that they know you. I pray that they would know you. In fact, he prays this. Read this with me. It's verse 17, if you've got a Bible there. Um, he prays, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul, who has just finished thanking God that these Christians know Jesus. These Christians, in fact, who just a few verses earlier in last week's passage, he said they have received the seal of the Holy Spirit. So these are spirit-indwelt people that he's talking to. Paul prays that the Spirit would be given to them to bring them the knowledge of Jesus. And, and we've got to get our heads around this because there's an important answer to the question, why? What, why the deepest need, not just of a person who doesn't know Jesus, not just of a person who is distant from the promises of God, but of a spirit-indwelt Christian who already knows the love of Christ is to have the Spirit make us know Him more. 
And the answer is that in Jesus and in the gospel of Jesus, we are transformed into who our creator intended us to be. Just, it must be said, what we're talking about is not knowledge of facts alone, but knowing him, knowing the saviour, the real, relatable, living today, reigning today person who you can know closely and intimately. Then as we see Jesus, as we learn to know his gospel more and more and trust him more and more and see the rich depths of who he is, we grow to be more like him. And you know what's interesting? All of those things that we contend to go after, that we've talked about already a few times today, that that people in Ephesus went after, you know, power, hope, wealth, comfort, a connection to something bigger. I'm going to say something that some people might feel a little bit controversial right now. Um, All of those things, as Paul prays for Christians to know Jesus, he prays that he's, he's longing that we would understand that they are ours more fully, more completely in Christ. Now, this is why that might sound controversial, because you might hear that and go, wait, 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 John, 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 are you saying that Jesus is going to make me rich? And, and maybe half of us are going, ah, my theology is good enough to know that that's not right. And half of us are going, really? Interesting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, that's not what I'm saying here. Don't get me wrong here. God doesn't promise to make you prosperous by a worldly definition in this life. Um, look at the history of the church if you want a little bit of proof of that. Look at Jesus if you want a bit of proof for that. If, if, if the world's definition of a prosperous life is crucifixion, I, I don't want it. Um, and, and if someone tells you otherwise, by the way, if someone tells you that Jesus does intend for you to have perfect health in this life or to be wealthy in this life, if that's, that's, that's the plan of God for the Christian life, here's my advice. Run fast and run long. Head to the other side of the world. You know, it's, it, it, that, that is an a unbiblical, godless teaching. But in a greater, not lesser way, Paul prays for us to know that we have these things in Jesus. Read this with me. Look at verse 18. He prays, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, first thing we talked about that people go after, right? Hope. You want hope? You don't have to look beyond Jesus. So many people waste their lives going after other lesser hopes. Every hope is less than Jesus. The hopes that we find in this world, they are fleeting and they don't deliver what they promise. You know, have you ever noticed that? If you're, if you're hoping, if you're, if you've got a short-term hope for something, you know, like my easy example is, is a new piece of technology for me. Like, you know, you're like, oh, I hope I can get this thing and I can, you know, I, I, I mean, blimey, my, my in-laws just saw this work out. I actually have to confess and repent this as, as we received, this is going to sound embarrassing as a man, a new kitchen appliance the other day, um, which I was like, I can finally make the smoothies and things. And yet, ultimately, it will disappoint me. Um, if we put our hope in the things of this world, they are ultimately disappointing. It's okay to have some things, it's okay to enjoy some things, but understand they can't carry the weight of your hopes. You know, people in Paul's day, many people put their hope in, in a God 
or goddess rather, called Artemis, a false goddess, by the way. Ephesus housed the great temple of Artemis. We mentioned it before, goddess of the hunt, one of the most impressive temples that has ever been built. It must have seemed like such a sure place to go find your hope. Don't the hopes that we put ourselves after today seem like sure places? You know, as you'd walk through the, the temple of Artemis and seen the great, you know, hundred great marble columns and a marble roof, get your head around that kind of architecture, um, it must have seemed like this was an eternal thing. This is somewhere worth putting my hopes. You know, how could that much marble be wrong? Today, rubble. Less than rubble, most of it. Non-existent, dirt. Only Jesus gives true, lasting hope. Jesus who was proclaimed then, Jesus who was proclaimed now is still the lasting hope, more than 2,000 years later. What about wealth? You know, a lot of people throw themselves after wealth. Sadly, a lot of Christians throw themselves after wealth. We, 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 what's the word? Anyway, we try and bash two faiths together where we get Jesus and wealth and we say, you know what, Jesus is going to give me wealth. And what we end up with is people who trust in wealth. A lot of people throw themselves after comfort, likewise. After frivolous pursuits that might be good in a small way, but can't fulfill the role of your ultimate need, your ultimate purpose in life. People in Ephesus, they threw themselves after the sports of the day, right? After financial gain, after luxurious living, after the theatre, you know, the, the greatest theatre in the ancient world, 50,000 people. What good did it do to them, for them? Where is it now? Moreover, what good did it really do for them then, even in the moment? Aside from a brief high, which is very often followed by a deep low of disappointment, if we're really honest, I think everyone would acknowledge that the best our money can buy never satisfies. In fact, the best our money can buy, the best it can do, is tantalise you by saying you didn't spend enough. Go and get something better. I'm going to give away the ending of that one for you here. The next one won't satisfy you. Sorry, not sorry. And yet Paul prays that as we know Christ, we know that the riches of his glorious inheritance are for the saints, for us. God wants us to give up going after lesser glories and pursue knowing him more. You will have eternal riches in him. Don't, don't bother about the riches of this world. One day you will look back on them, if you can look back on them then, and realise that they aren't even worth, like you wouldn't want to poke them with a 10-foot pole at that point compared to what you have then. What about power? There's a, there's a popular one, right? People go after power. How, how many people then and today waste their lives pursuing power? Find, find me a person in power who can honestly say that their power gives them a great joy. Challenge for you this week, you know? That power satisfies them, fulfills them. And go, like, you know, 
It doesn't. I, 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 I know I just gave you the challenge, and I know I've already given you the answer, and that's probably not fair, but it doesn't. And you know, this goes equally for the president of the USA and the president of the CWA. Like, as we, I don't know if CWAs even have presidents, by the way, but as we come to know Jesus, though, as we know him more, we come to know more and more a marvelous mystery. Read this. It's in verse 19. Paul prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put, him, uh, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. People go after worldly power and it always ends up destroying us when we go over after those things. But there is joy, there is peace, there is life in knowing the one who said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In God, Father, Son and Spirit, there is the greatest power that there ever can be, ever will be, the power which created all other powers. That's definitive, right? And not just that, the power that was ultimately demonstrated, as Paul says here, in the defeat of death when Jesus rose. Jesus sits above all rule and power and authority. He is power. And here we read, the immeasurable greatness of God's power is exercised toward us who believe. God's great resurrection power is not our power, don't get me wrong. We, we don't have the freedom to go, all right, I'm going to exercise it over here. I'm going to do that over there. It is power that he puts in us. It's power that he uses through us, but, but we are not the owners of the power. He is. Thank goodness, because we wouldn't know what to do with it. But, but he who does know what to do with it. What he does with it is he uses it for the good of his people. He exercises his power toward us, the saints. The power that dwells in you by the Spirit of God is so powerful that even death can't defeat it. And finally, church, Paul prays in a way that speaks to our desire for a connection to something bigger. This is connected with the power one in the text. He prays that we come to know Christ more. And as we come to know Christ more, that we would understand that this one who has all rule and authority given to him, all power is his, who sits above every throne and dominion, we would understand that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. That is because you are one of his people. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are one of his people. You're a part of his church, a part of his body. You are intimately, intimately connected with and led by the one who is above all. You are connected with something so much bigger than a football team or a political party or heaven forbid a video game.
So here's a chance to take a, a solid look at your life. Here's an invite for me and it's for you and it's for all of us. And to ask ourselves, what am I pursuing as the deepest need in my life? What do I, what do I spend my days going after? You know, I want to put it another way. What gets the best of my passions, the best of the passions of my heart and the hours of my days? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Church, we need this. The church today is full of people who say that they trust in Jesus and spend their lives pursuing lesser things. That's just a thing. It's a sad thing. It's a, it's a heartbreaking thing, but it's a truth. If, you ta- if that's you, take the chance. Repent. There's freedom in Jesus. There's grace for sin. There is, there is deliverance. Don't worry. Turning and trusting him more, coming to know him more, realizing that we haven't been pursuing him and, and turning to pursue him more, that's a regular rhythm of the normal Christian life. That doesn't make you abnormal. That makes you what God's called you to be. Repenting of having wasted myself on lesser things is a normal part of, of living the life of following Jesus. And hey, if, if you're not a Christian, take this chance as well. This, this is an opportunity to turn, to see that you've been pursuing worthless things compared to Jesus. And it's a chance to bring that to God. Say, God, I don't. These things never satisfied me. I always tried. I dug deeper and deeper, and they never did. Today, I just want to throw it aside and follow you instead. Maybe today's the day for you. Today's the day that you go from trusting in something less and unsatisfying to trusting in something better, in someone better than Jesus. This is your chance. We're going to pray now. We're going to have that opportunity to to do business with God, to speak to him. Look, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, I'll I'll leave a few moments of silence and then I'm going to pray. There's no magic words. I'm not going to tell you what to speak to God. Just come to him and let him know. Let him know the ways that you've gone after the wrong things. Let him know that you want to follow him. It's not coincidence that you've ended up having these thoughts today. He's at work in you. Lean into that. Would you would you pray? And then I'll pray with Phil. Lord Jesus, we come before you a people who are still learning this lesson that you are better, that to know you is our deepest need and to know you more is our deepest need. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here who has not placed their trust in that first instance of trusting in you. I pray that they would today and I pray that you would hear their prayer. We know that, Lord, you've promised that you hear. 
promise that if anyone comes to you with their sin, you're faithful to forgive them if they confess their sin to you. And Lord, we know that all power is yours and that we can trust you to deliver us. I pray for that person that they would walk in this trusting in Jesus and that this would be a new life for them, that they would know the new life of having the Spirit in them and that they would walk with Christ as a part of his body, the church. Lord, I pray for all of us. I just want to overflow in thankfulness towards you. I pray that we would understand and that we would know Christ more and more, that we would know the hope that is ours. We would know the riches of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. We would know the immeasurable greatness of his power exercised towards us in Christ and that we would live as the body of Christ in this world, shaped by who he is. Lord, we turn away from the things that we've gone after that are not you. And we want to follow you more. Lead us to walk in that resurrection power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.